Mark 5, and if I can draw your attention to verse 24, it tells us, So Jesus went with him. Now this is referring to Jairus, the synagogue ruler who Jesus had been asked to come and uh, minister to his daughter who was at the point of death. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman, verse 25, had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. But while she but when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed." Of your affliction. And Father, we ask that as we open the Word of God tonight, just that you would open our hearts, our soul, our mind, our spirit, every part of our being, Lord, and just take your living and powerful Word and just apply it to our hearts, Lord, that it would speak to us in personal ways, that even as you allowed this woman in that hour to hear your voice, Speak directly and personally to her things from your heart that you wanted her to hear. Lord, we ask tonight that you do the same with us, that you would speak personally and directly to each one of us in this place, that through your word, which is inspired by your spirit, you would take and, and cause it to have application to our hearts and speak to us things that we need to hear, that you would teach us. Lord, take away that which distracts and hinders in our hearts and minds and and just prepare us, and we ask you to bless your word and let it have its proper place in our hearts and lives tonight. Speak to us by your spirit, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, here in Mark chapter 5, we have a story recorded for us of a time when a woman had a personal encounter with Jesus, which, as you can see from the reading, completely changed her life forever. And I love the stories in the gospel, specifically how they so clearly indicate, and Mark's gospel is uh, very pointed for this because it's the gospel of action. It records for us a lot of the miracles of Jesus, a lot of the activity and ministry of Jesus, where Matthew gives to us uh, greater uh, attention to the teachings of Jesus and some of his instruction. Mark really is an action-oriented gospel, and it's a gospel that focuses upon the different activities and healings and ministries of Jesus. And whenever we see in the Bible, it's so beautiful, someone having an encounter with Jesus, I hope you take notice when you read that their life is never the same afterwards. 
whether it's Jesus opening the eyes of a blind person or healing someone who was paralyzed or calling Matthew or Levi as we know him from the tax booth and it says that he left everything and got up and followed him. Every person who had an encounter with Jesus, their life wasn't the same afterwards. Uh, and I like that as, as an indication of really what should be our experience, that when we truly have an encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, life shouldn't be the same afterwards. Our life should be different. The evident fruit of having an encounter with the Lord is that we should not be the same afterwards, whether it's the first time we encounter Jesus in salvation, if we've had a genuine conversion and we've truly met the Lord, life should be different afterwards. There should be an evidence of life transformation. And whether it's the times where we continually have an experience and an encounter with the Lord in just a real personal in uh, a regular way, which I think we should because this isn't a religious experience. It's a, a relational thing where we're encountering a living Savior, a, a risen Christ who we're having experiences with. Our lives should continue to experience change and transformation. And this story here really, I think, is probably one of the greatest interruption of human plans in all of history. And I say it's a great interruption because, as I said, it's sort of a backdrop to where we began reading there uh, in verse 24, where it says Jesus went with him. It's referring to Jairus, and the prior verses record for us how this man, a synagogue ruler, comes to Jesus in desperation, and he's pleading with the Lord, it tells us, to come to his house because it says that his daughter, who we know was around 12 years old, his uh, pre-teenage daughter, was sick and at the point of death. So in desperation, he can't resolve his own situation. God brings a crisis into his life, which really was, more importantly, a crisis of faith. And sometimes God will allow, as we've all maybe experienced or see happen to others, sometimes God will allow the crisis... To bring somebody to that critical point where all of their resources are stripped away and they have nothing else to do but to fall at the feet of Jesus and beg and plead for his involvement and intervention in their life. And this was the case with Jairus and Jesus hearing this plea of Jairus uh, falling at his feet and begging him, verse 23, earnestly, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Jesus responds. Jesus always responds when people come to him in desperation and genuine sincerity. Uh, he doesn't turn people away. So he now embraces, if you would, the request of Jairus to go to his house to go and heal his daughter. But between that time and arriving there, this interruption takes place with this woman who we read of had an issue of blood, had a, a condition, and she comes into the crowd and has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus pauses Pauls us from what he was on his way to do, interacts with this woman, ministers to her and meets her need, and then continues on to go and to minister to Jairus' family as well. And as I look at this, it's a great reminder to me, certainly there's the whole story of Jairus and his faith being stretched and tested because as the Lord says, yeah, I'll take care of your problem, and then all of a sudden there's a delay in the resolution to his problem. And no doubt, keep in mind, as sort of a, a sidelight to this whole story here is this experience happens with this woman and Jesus interacting with her, you know if you're anything like Jairus, Jairus is kind of tapping a sandal going, oh, Jesus, remember, 
My problem, you, you know, you said you were going to, my daughter's dying. This woman's not dying, you know, and, and no doubt the stress that's building up in him, he's thinking, well, you said you were going to resolve my issue, and now there's a delay all of a sudden. There's this, it's almost as if Jesus hits the pause button, but really he wasn't hitting the pause button to, to torture Jairus. In a sense, he was just showing that each person has value and need, and no doubt he knew what he was going to do for Jairus, and whether it was five minutes later or 50 minutes later, the power of Jesus was still the same. And if nothing else, Jairus came out the other side with a much stronger faith, which is of way more value than immediate resolution sometimes to our personal problems and pleas from the Lord. And sometimes the Lord will kind of hit a pause button, I find in our lives. And, and, and in a sense, what he's seeking to do is minister in the ways that he needs to, but also to help us develop. And it's almost as if that last straining rep, you know, if you, I used to exercise when I was younger in high school age a lot more than I do now. And you can obviously tell that by looking at me, of course. But... Uh, but you get that spot where maybe the ninth or the tenth rep and then you have somebody maybe who's spotting you and they, they call out for one more. You know, and you don't want to do the one more, but it's that, that strain of the one more a lot of times that, that brings that further step forward in the development and the progress. And sometimes the Lord will work in our lives that way to stretch our faith, to keep us in a place of a holding pattern, to just keep us dependent upon him, believing that he will do what he said that will come through and honor his word. So this woman, however, is a great reminder. As I said, she's sort of the interruption to the scene with Jairus. This woman's a reminder that Jesus always makes time for everyone. Jesus makes time for everyone and for whoever seeks him. He's never going to brush them aside, say, hey, well, I already got this on my agenda. And, and we do that to each other. And maybe you've been brushed aside or you've been ignored or had somebody hey, like, well, if I wasn't doing this. I, but listen, that will never happen with Jesus. His line is always available. He'll never put you on hold. He'll never say, hey, well, this person's more important than you. Jesus is wonderful in the sense that he always makes time for everyone. And sometimes interruptions or even divinely orchestrated things. And we need to remember that on the side of sometimes when we're interrupted, that sometimes that can be a divine interruption that God may allow. And it's wise for us at times maybe to even hit our own pause button and to maybe minister to an immediate need if it comes into our life, recognizing that could be something from the Lord, from a ministry side, as well as realizing our Lord here does that for us. He's always making time for anyone. So Jesus, verse 24, is now moving along. And notice the setting here. It says a great multitude is following Jesus and thronging him. So the, the visual image you want to get in your mind here is you've ever seen like the, maybe the takeoff of, a, of like a Boston marathon or maybe an overcrowded night on the boardwalk, which I don't know if it's ever been that bad, where we're in a theme park where they first open the gate you just have you know this narrow procession probably through the streets here of ancient Israel and it says that there's a great multitude and people are thronging Jesus again his popularity is immense at this point in his ministry there are some who are following him genuinely there are others who are just they're they're thrill seekers you know whenever something is happening i mean if you begin to develop a crowd you know there's a you see four or five people standing around the street corner what is everybody inclined to do all of a sudden five more people are inclined because some people just had a curiosity are drawn and that's what you have with jesus at this point in his ministry and now he's just told some man that he's going to come and heal his daughter who's about to die well, that sounds pretty interesting. Wow, he's going to you know, heal some person. who's So the crowds now are 
pressing around him. And you can picture that kind of moving along. Everybody's bumping into everyone, trying to move forward as there's less space than what is needed to move that many people through a particular maybe street heading towards Jairus' house. And that's the image in your mind. And verse 25 tells us now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So now introduce into this crowded scene here, this woman. And notice, unlike Jairus, she's an anonymous woman. We're not told her name. Unlike Jairus, who was important and well-known in the community, he was a man of influence. Everybody knew who Jairus was. He was a man of importance, a man of, of, of power, a man of wealth and resources. And now here's this anonymous woman. No one, it seems, recognizes her. There's no, it's just the complete opposite. But yet again, showing Jesus shows no partiality. Jesus was not impressed by wealth and influence and affluence, nor was Jesus unimpressed by someone who was anonymous and seemed to just live a life in obscurity. He cares about every person with equal value. And now this woman, the contrast, she comes into this scene here and Mark records for us a little bit about her situation. It says that she had had a flow of blood for 12 years the idea here is some type of a chronic probably menstrual hemorrhaging that's going on like a continuous menstrual cycle or some sort of hemorrhaging that's going on some condition that she has some gynecological problem and for 12 years straight she has had this flow of blood the hemorrhaging and again we're not told was it painful we don't know but certainly uh, it would have interrupted normal life It would have made things much more difficult for her. And this was more, please understand, than just a medical malady. Uh, You should remember, and I purposely sort of took the opportunity to tie this together, just a few chapters back in our study in the book of Leviticus there, as we went through different things that made people clean and unclean. And remember, some of that was bodily discharges. And this is an abnormal bodily discharge. So this would make her social life completely out of kilter with what it would have normally been because this would have made her ceremonially unclean which meant that she could not worship publicly at temple with other people she could not be around other people and interact because if they touched something she touched or they sat on something she sat on or in then they would be defiled in a sense and ceremonially unclean so because of that please understand people would have avoided someone like this And she would have known, I need to sort of isolate myself because I'll just continuously defile people. And because of that, this would have been more than just a medical malady. It would have been a complete social struggle and, and a personal issue that she had to deal with. And again, whether it was painful or not, certainly the loss of blood. I mean, what were her iron levels? How anemic was she? For 12 years, she just continuously had chronic hemorrhaging going on. What would that do to, to, again, cause her to feel a sense of weakness and exhaustion that takes place when someone is anemic and their iron levels are low, which is a a typical side effect of bleeding? Uh, Not to mention, again, the loneliness and how this is sort of, again, would have certainly been somewhat of a private struggle. It's not as if this was something that was outwardly evident. So this is something that's a struggle, but it's somewhat of of a private issue. Maybe not everyone knows that she's struggling with what she's struggling with in her life. 
And so we have this woman, it says, and she suffered many things from many physicians. So like us, she, she took the, uh, the logical route. Let me see if this doctor can help. And she'd go to the one doctor and spend resources. And if you want to read historically all the different kind of maladies and different remedies that they propose, some of them are quite bizarre of what would resolve this type of a, a hemorrhaging issue. And, and that wouldn't work. So she'd go to the next physician. Hey, no, well, I, I know the solution. Just If you just do this and... So she went through that whole process of seeing doctor after doctor and those who said they could resolve the problem. And it says she had gone to many physicians, spent all that she had. So she had basically used up all of her finances and resources as the result of trying to get a resolution to her problem. And it says that she was no better, but she actually grew worse. She was getting no help, no resolution. She was just getting continuously worse. So here you have this woman who tries to pursue every human avenue that she knows of anyway, that's logical, that seems sensible. She tries every human avenue that she can think of to get relief from her problem, to try and resolve this issue or to get some help. And man, how can you imagine how that must have weighed on her? disappointment after disappointment and going to the next person. Hey, I know the last guy, but listen, I know how to solve this problem. So she makes another investment. She takes another step, another sacrifice, thinking, okay, this is finally going to work, only to again have the disappointment and the letdown and then things to worsen, not just maintain status quo, but then to worsen in the midst of all that. So here you have a person dealing with a prolonged dilemma a problem that has no human cure. There's no human solution. She's made numerous efforts to try and resolve it. She's made great sacrifices. And all that happens is it keeps getting worse. Now, can you imagine how that would weigh on a person? Not only just the physical weight of that, but again, the emotional drain, the mental anguish, Maybe even, again, the spiritual discouragement because people would look at someone like that and say, well, there must be a sin issue in your life. Or you must not be right with God, so God's scourge, God's curse is upon you. And God's getting you, he's, he's judging you. And, and, and all of those implications and how that would just weigh on this woman as she carried this around. And, you know, I don't know, perhaps in some way, maybe it's not the same thing, literally, you can relate in some way regarding a personal struggle with this woman here. Maybe there is some uh, prolonged dilemma or problem that you have been dealing with, maybe not for 12 days or 12 months, maybe it's been years. And that's a long time, 12 years, to be dealing with the same problem. And again, there's no human cure. And maybe you've even, like her, you've made sacrifices and personal costs and made efforts and endeavors to try different avenues of human resolution. Well, let me try this. Well, okay, that didn't work, so I'm not going to give up. And, and you've been due diligence. Let me try this. Okay, well, it's going to be another sacrifice on my end, but I'm going to try this too. And maybe you've made numerous sacrifices and tried to resolve the situation, whatever it is, and maybe it's something that is weakening you. Maybe it's a private struggle. Maybe not everybody is aware. And here you're among people all the time and they have no idea of the struggle in your private life and what you're going through and the difficulty 
and the weight that that puts upon you and you're carrying it around and the disappointment and discouragement and after effort, after effort, after effort, it's a prolonged dilemma and it's only gotten worse. And maybe you can look at this woman and think, man, I understand that anguish. I understand that discouragement, that frustration. Well, here's this woman in this condition dealing with this. In verse 27, it says, but when she heard about Jesus. Boy, that's a life-changing moment right there. She heard about Jesus. Now, she probably had heard about what Jesus was doing, his healings and his miracles, because his popularity was pretty immense at this time. But she now probably hears that Jesus is in proximity, he's in the area. She probably had heard, he just assured Jairus, I'll come and, and minister and, and heal your daughter. And she's thinking, well, wow, if he'll do that for, for him, then maybe there is still hope for me. If he's willing to consent and to go and help this man, maybe, maybe there is some opportunity for help for me. So she hears about Jesus and it says, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment now she's probably touching the area of the tassels of his long Jewish robe. Numbers 15 says that the men were to wear blue tassels, which were to be a, a visual reminder of the word of God and the commands of God and who God was. So there's probably what the connection is of why she wants to touch the corner or the hem of his garment from an Old Testament perspective. So she comes into the crowd and she said, this is what she was thinking. This was her mindset, why she's going to make her way, sneak through this crowd. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately, notice the moment she touched him, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. So, Again, nothing that she had done, nothing that anyone had ever even tried to do for her, graciously helping to assist and bring resolution to her problem, had ever worked. Nothing had ever worked. But yet, this is what's impressive, she still believed that the Lord could do a miracle. She still believed that the Lord could do a miracle, and more than that, she even then pursued it expectantly. She pursued it expectantly. Now, everything in the history of her experience, everything in her present situation should scream to her, just give up. Accept defeat. Resolve the fact this is how it's always going to be. This is, this is just your thing and, and it, nothing is going to change and it's beyond the opportunity for any help or any change to come to pass. And, you know, I think so many times when we think logically, that's very normal to think that way. And I'll tell you, the voice of the devil would love to speak that into our lives. Again, whether it's a health issue or a domestic problem or a you know, family situation or a marital issue or, or whether it's some sin struggle that's been a you know, 10 or a 12-year problem, some addiction or life-dominating habit and we have been struggling or the weight of something and we tried this and we tried that and we tried this and, and it's not even getting better, it's even getting worse. And the devil would love to whisper in her ear, right. And nothing's ever going to change. It can't change. You need to just accept the reality that this is the way it's going to be. Bear up under it. Isolate yourself. You know, just pull up your bootstraps and deal with it. That's just the way it's going to be. It's always going to be that way. 
And human logic wants us to think that way. The devil thinks that that's the best idea to convey to our minds because we're so quick to embrace that. But here this woman sets an incredible pattern in the sense that though nothing she had ever done work, nothing she ever tried had worked, she still believed beyond what she could see with her eyes and history was dictating to her that the Lord... Jesus Christ, who was a miracle-working God that she saw ministering to other people, who she realized is not partial to anybody, he can, if he will, still accomplish a miracle. So she thought, you know, what do I got to lose? I don't know, there's a part of me that almost kind of, when after 12 years, you imagine like just striking out for 12 years straight, you know, it's a baseball season and, and every game of the entire season, every time you're up to bat, you strike out, strike out, strike out for 12 years straight. You know, in a sense, when the, when the 13th year rolls around, there's almost a distorted mentality that says, what do I got to lose even if I strike out one more time? I mean, there's always a part of it if you're distorted enough to just think, well, I mean, I could take a defeatist mentality or go, look, it won't be the first time I've struck out, so uh, what do I got to lose? Why not take a venture of faith? Why not anticipate that maybe the Lord might do something? And, you know, as the Bible shows us, sometimes just, you know, give God room to work, see if he wants to. And that's really what she's doing here. She, notice she kind of, it says, sneaks in behind, again, why? Because she knows that she's ceremonially unclean. She doesn't directly come to Jesus and just embrace him because she's become so isolated and people have avoided her. So she's thinking, look, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, he's so powerful. Now, I understand her faith is a little superstitious that she's thinking if I touch his hem somehow, like there's you know, a magical power that's going to flow. So there is a little bit of a, a superstitiousness to her faith and it's in its uh uh, immature form here until the Lord really develops her faith further. But nonetheless, she genuinely believed that she could get from Jesus what she had never experienced before. And she genuinely believed that. She genuinely believed he is so powerful. If I just touch his garment, if I just can just touch his garment, slip in, touch his garment, get out, nobody will know. Nobody will rebuke me. There'll be no problems, no issues. I believe that he can do this. And again, I look at this and it shows us that when her faith was acted upon and she did what? Came in contact with Jesus. The power of God was released in her life in a real way. When her faith was activated and she reached forth, notice, believing in faith, exercising his faith, if she says, if I can just come into contact with him, I'll be made well, I believe it. And, and as her faith was exercised, as she came into contact with Jesus, verse 29 says, immediately she was healed. She was miraculously healed. Her life changed in an instant because why? The power of God was experienced in her life. And I think this is a tremendous encouragement to us because, listen, despite the past history or your present situation, we have to ask ourselves once in a while, with our situation, our problem, our dilemma, our struggles, our issues, despite the past history or even the present situation, are you willing to believe that Jesus can still do a miracle if he so wills to? And are you willing beyond believing that to actually seek for it expectantly and to reach out and say, Lord, whatever I can do to come into contact with you, 
I'm going to do that. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Listen, it is not about the circumstances. It's not about our worth, our merit, our deserving anything. Get over that. We've never deserved anything from the start. It's about believing who Jesus is. That he is gracious, that he has power. And it's all about, Lord, I, I don't know, not, but, but I believe if you want to, you can. I love when the man with leprosy comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, it's two sides. He believed, I know you can make me clean. Lord, I don't know if you're willing, but if you're willing, I believe you can make me clean. And remember, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And such a beautiful example here, this challenge, how oftentimes the Bible reiterates again and again and again, it emphasizes to us that the Lord honors faith. He honors faith. I don't understand it, but the Bible holds it before us that he honors faith. And immediately this woman experiences a miraculous touch. She instantly felt, she recognized in her body, some people were very in tune with their bodies, and she realized, I've just been made home. This affliction has just gone from me. She realized a miracle had just happened. Verse 30 says, In Jesus, immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd, and again, you have to envision all this with this mob scene going on, and he says, Who touched my clothes? Now his disciples, you know, and again, you almost wonder if there's a bit of sarcasm or cynicism. They're much like us. His disciples said to him, uh, Lord, do you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? In other words, uh, which one of the 450 people that just bumped into you in the last 15 minutes are you describing? Who touched me? What do you mean everybody's touching you? Everybody's pressing in. We're all bumping into each other. And who touched me? And again, they're thinking from a logical perspective. But what Jesus is indicating, and the other gospel accounts tell us, is that Jesus says, I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, here's what very simply is being set before us, and what Jesus is revealing, and that is simply this, is that there's a big difference between just casual contact with Jesus and being among Jesus in the crowd. There's a very big difference between that and actually reaching out to touch Jesus in personal faith, expectantly, believing that you will receive from him directly in your personal life. Do you see what I mean by that? There's a very big difference. That's what Jesus, who touched me, yes, lots of people were thronging Jesus, but there was only one woman in that crowd that actually touched Jesus with sincere faith, believing expectantly in what she would receive from him. And Jesus, notice, he pays attention and he knows the difference. He understands there are lots of people who come into casual contact with Jesus. There are lots of people who are among the crowds where Jesus is. But Jesus knows there's a vast difference when somebody reaches out in faith and touches him personally, expectantly, believing and wanting and desiring to receive from him for themselves. And I think this is a good reminder to us because, let's be honest, it's very easy to just kind of have casual contact with Jesus. There are lots of people who come into casual contact with Jesus. They come into church services and, and, and they kind of have casual contact with Jesus. They're among the crowd, if you would. 
And they have casual... Con but, but then there are others who come and are in the same crowd and their heart is in a place whereby it doesn't matter what everybody else in the crowd is doing. They have their focus on one thing. I am here to get in contact with Jesus. And I believe Jesus has something for me. And I believe I need something from Jesus for myself. And if no one else is going to take advantage of the opportunity to reach out and receive the grace of God and experience the power of God, well, I'll be the needy beggar that does. And, and Jesus here takes note of this, and I think it's just a great admonition for us. Listen, it's very easy to just be among the crowd and casually interacting, but, but there's a whole other place that, that the Lord wants us to come to where his power can be released in our life to help us to, to do miracle and wonderful things in our life, to touch us, to heal us, to strengthen us, to change us, to transform us, to make us more Christ-like, to set us free from things that are controlling and dominating and maybe destroying our lives. And what it boils down to is, am I willing in faith to say, I don't want to just hang out among the crowd, but I, but I want to, in faith, seek out and pursue Jesus for myself. And really reach out and come into contact and touch the Lord because Jesus knows the difference and he honors that. And that's why he said that he perceived, he recognized that power had gone out. And he says, who touched me? There was one who touched me in this crowd in that way. And verse 32 says, he looked around to see her who had done this thing. In other words, Jesus wants her to experience, notice, more than just a solution to the problem. He says, who touched me? And I think that as he says it, he's looking around and he probably came right to the place where his eyes met this woman. She came up from behind, touched him, and she was trying to just kind of sneak back out of the crowd there just to blend into obscurity where she had lived her life. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, hold everything. And he stops the whole crowd. He says, who touched me? Who touched me? And he's looking around. And I'm sure he probably got to a point where he's saying and he's looking directly at that woman. Who touched me? And he's making her realize, listen, I want something much more for you than just to solve some temporary affliction in your life. Sure, I did that, and, and I, I'm thankful to have been able to help you in that way, but he's bringing this woman, as we'll see in these last few verses here, to a place where he wants her to realize that he wants to do more than just be a solution to her temporal, present problem that she's dealing with. And he wants something relational. In other words... He didn't want this woman, because this is what her agenda was, was it not? She was going in trying to do what? Kind of just snatch a blessing and get back out. Kind of almost like a genie approach, right? You want to go in, rub the genie, get my wish, and then get back out. That's all I'm looking for. I, I just need a little genie assistant. I'm just going to go in, snatch my blessing, and get out of here. And some people have that mentality towards God, too. They want to treat God like a genie. They, when they need their wish, then they want to sneak in, be among the crowd, kind of rub the Lord a little bit, get on his good side, get my blessing, and sneak back out of there. But Jesus wants way more than that. The amazing thing is he, still, he, he does that for people too. He's gracious. He'll bless people, but he wants something so much deeper. He wants something so much more intimate, full relationship. He doesn't want to just be a genie in a lamp. He wants intimacy with us, relationship. That's why... It says that the woman now realizing, no doubt probably Jesus' eyes met hers, it says fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her. And again, keep in mind, she's nervous because she's thinking, I just defiled him. 
and I defiled everybody in this crowd that I just came into contact. She's thinking, am I going to get scolded? Am I going to get rebuked? Is he going to be angry and upset with me because of what I've done? So she's terrified. So she fell down before him and told Jesus the whole truth. So she just begins to pour out her soul and recount the whole story to the Lord. You can hear her just rehearsing the whole thing. Lord, I've had this situation for so long and I've gone to the physicians and it's been so weary and it's been so draining and I'm exhausted under the weight of it physically and mentally and emotionally. And I heard what you said to Jairus and I thought just maybe, I don't know, maybe I could just sneak in. I won't bother anybody and just touch you and just maybe somehow that your power would change my life and, and, and I did and then I realized afterwards oh man I was, was that selfish and she's recounting the whole story it says pouring out her soul to Jesus it says falling down telling him the whole truth and I look at this scene and I think man what a beautiful thing that is a great and very healthy thing when anybody not just this woman comes to a place where in humility they're brought to a spot where they're just pouring out their soul to Jesus and they're just telling Jesus everything. They're just letting it all out, man. Because that's half the problem with people so often is that we're trying to hold back. As if the Lord doesn't care. But listen, that's what he wants. He says, just tell me the whole truth. Just tell me the whole truth. Don't beat around the bush. Just pour out your soul, your problems, your complaints, your struggles, your issues, as if somehow he doesn't know about them. But there's something very liberating and freeing when we come to that place of intimacy with Jesus where we can just pour out our soul before him. Just tell him the whole truth. Everything that's going on in our life, the struggles, the situations. And he said to her finally, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So Jesus uses this term here, verse 34, daughter, which interesting is the only time he ever, that we know of, uses that specific term Speaking to this woman, she hears him use a term that's a term of relationship. He says, you're like a daughter to me. The idea there is in the Greek. So he speaks to this woman in this very tender, loving, relational way. And he wants her to know that her faith in him, again, not, not somehow the, you know, the, the, the superstitious touch of some tassel on his garment. She look at your faith because you believed in me. Because you came to me and believed that I could do this for you. Your faith, he says, has made you well. And that word well means more than just physically healed. The idea is completely whole. He's saying, well, it's more than just a physical affliction. He wants her to know that it wasn't just her physical affliction that was resolved, but that he had actually just healed her soul. Because she had encountered the living Christ and in a relational way, didn't sneak away, but went to the next level and came into a relational experience with him and was healed and whole in a much deeper way. He's saying all things are well and therefore now you can go in peace. You can go in peace now. Your affliction has been healed. You know, as we look at this woman's healing and her experience, I think it's really a picture, if you would, in some ways of what Jesus does spiritually in all of our lives. Think of it from this perspective. We all have an incurable problem, just like this woman. It's called sin. And, and it is slowly killing every one of us. It's bleeding the life out of us, if you would. And it's an incurable malady that none of us can resolve. And we try many things, don't we, as human beings, to resolve the problem of sin. And all the symptomatic problems that come along with it that we can't resolve, like guilt 
and personal emptiness and loneliness and, and, and fear and frustration and anxiety and depression and self-serving habits. And, and we try all these different things to try and resolve those problems. And we, and we go spend our time in this and we spend our efforts over there and we go after all these things, worldly cures. And what happens? We just get worse. We just get more empty. <laughs> We become more isolated. We become more lonely and more anxious and more depressed and more guilty. And then we hear about Jesus. And we hear about this one who can miraculously take away guilt and shame and loneliness and emptiness and fear and depression and anxiety. And we realize he is able to do for me what no one has ever been able to do for me. And he is available to do that. And if I just reach out in faith to seek his help and deliverance... When we do that, what happens? Immediately, we're healed of sin's consequences. Immediately, we're healed of the symptomatic and dreadful affliction of sin. And if that weren't enough, then Jesus says, but that's not all I want to do for you. I want to bring you to a place of even deeper intimacy. You know, as we celebrate communion tonight, that's really what we're remembering, the fact that Jesus has done exactly that for each one of us.